Nice. That's wonderful. And this is son playing the drums back there, too. What's up, man? You got some skills there, brother. So thank God for that. This is a little father and son gig here, isn't it? How do we work this thing out? Yeah. Amen. <laughs> yeah. Father, thank you for yourself, and thank you for what we've just seen and heard and experienced. Uh, Lord, help us. We get so distracted. Lord, you know, I do struggle with a little latent ADD, and sometimes it ain't so latent. And, uh, and so help all of us, oh God, oh God, help us, help us not to be so loud and so upset with ourselves that we miss the grace of God. And Lord, we, you've been teaching us all these years that the more we walk with you, the less volume we will need to speak to us. So help us, oh God, to be tuned in. Now, once again, Father, in the name of your Son, speak to our hearts. We're not here to hear a speech, or we're not here, oh God, to be entertained or that kind of thing. But we're here, oh Lord, Brendan, to be encountered by you. And Lord, meet us. Help us. Um, God, help us to discipline our minds during this time so that we won't miss what you have to say to us. In Jesus' name. If you have a Bible, a device, or an extraordinary memory, turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter, chapter, chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter, chapter 1. As I shared with you yesterday, as I prayed about this time together, I just felt led to share a bit of a series, loosely connected, uh, that I've entitled Resilience. And... Um, there, there, there's a point at which all of us need to develop some emotional strength. Some emotional strength. We're going to take some hits in life. Adversity is part of our growth and development. None of us control eventuality. I mean, none of us do. Uh, we're all just one text message away, as I mentioned yesterday, one, one email away, one phone call away from everything unraveling. So the question is, Lord, how do we face these things? What do we do when, uh, when they come our way? I spoke yesterday about, uh, uh, you know, just our view of, of discouragement and how, 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 how can we walk through all of that and not be branded by it? And the anchor statement is that we need to make some decisions and choices. Uh, progress in the Christian life is not based upon our emotions. Our emotions are important, but they're banks of the river that we've got to got to got to make sure they're there. If they're not there, then we're going to be swampish. And so you got you, you've got you've got facts, the intellect, and you've got the will that gives a little bit of a pathway and direction to the emotions. So we choose truth. We we choose joy. We choose faith. We choose community. We. raise a question today, and I know this is sort of rhetorical, because if you're older than 10 years old, this has been your experience. Have you ever been so inundated and overwhelmed with the events of life that you've lost sight of who you are? I mean, there's just a rapid fire stuff that's coming at you. you, you, you you're reeling. You, you, you've lost 
lost sight of who you are, your own identity, that you're, you're overwhelmed. And that's happened in various seasons of my life. You know, I've learned if I take my eyes off the Lord, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a disaster. And so life comes at us fast and furious. Comes at us with a bunch of stuff. And the truth of the matter is, as Brendan alluded, that, that you know, really, really, we're always over our heads. And that's by God's design. So that we don't trust in ourselves. God does not do double billing in the Christian life. He doesn't do double billing. It's not God and me will get this thing together. No, it's all God and me depending upon him that gets this thing together. So, again, the question is, have you ever been in a place where you've gotten so beaten down and so inundated that you've kind of lost sight of your personhood, of of your uniqueness, of who you really are? That really is the case in the most personal of all letters that the Apostle Paul has written. And that's 2 Timothy. And actually, I think that every Christian should really, with that context in mind, should read First and Second Timothy, because Timothy's like a son to the Apostle Paul. Now, Timothy was getting the snot knocked out of him there at the church at Ephesus. I mean, he was getting beaten up royally. And this is the reason why Paul writes him. Timothy, by this point, has been the pastor of of. Uh, the church at Ephesus for about four years, if my research is accurate. And uh, there's a lot of stuff that's going on. Paul is in jail. Things don't look good. Timothy is rather young in comparison to his parishioners and the people there at the church. So if I would use street language here, not profane, but uh, Timothy is getting punked out by these people. They're taking his lunch money. I mean, they, they're, they're, they're beating this dude up something royally. And there's all this pressure that's on him. Paul is concerned because there's several forces that are, that, 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 are, that, are, that are coming together and things are getting tighter and tighter and tighter in Timothy's world. And I think the backdrop is uh, what's happened here contextually in the letter is that, first of all, Nero is the emperor, and he's, he's tightening the screws and turning up the heat on Christians. That doesn't look good for Timothy. Secondly, as I, as I said, if you read First and Second Timothy, it's very obvious that, that there's some chaos going on in the church. There's a mess. How many of you know ain't no mess like church mess? It's a mess. It's some, some churches just need to take the yellow tape and just go around the church. It's a crime scene, Jack. And, uh, I, I, you know, I, I know what I'm talking about. I've been a pastor, and I know. You know, if everything looks good, you don't understand what's going on behind the scenes. So it's a mess there. They got these false teachers. They got these older folks trying to tell them what to preach, what not to preach, how to talk, and all this other kind. He's got all of this stuff dumped on him. And so Timothy's there. And he's in it. He's the leader. And then the third thing that's happening with Timothy is things are closing. You got Nero, 
you got the church or you got all these kind of like, you know, snakes and stuff and false teachers that are there and all this chaos is going on. And the other piece is, as you see in 2 Timothy, Timothy's a spiritual father. tradition tells us he will be decapitated for his faith. He's in a dark, dank prison. And he loves Timothy. But there's a one-word title over the book of 2 Timothy, and this is where I borrowed this for this series. I would say the one-word title, the one message that Paul is telling Timothy is, son, can't run. What are you going to do? God's placed you there. What are you going to do? So here in first and second Timothy chapter one, the apostle Paul, I really believe he begins at the very beginning as he builds on this. And by the way, I, I'm not going to do this here. Obviously, I don't have enough time to, to speak to do this, but there are, there are seven summary statements or directives that Paul gives his young son in the ministry. All flowed into this whole idea of how to be resilient. I'm going to talk about two of them, one today and one tomorrow. But the very first place that he begins, and I think it's the place where he should always begin, he says to Timothy in the context of Nero, in the context of the mess of the church, in the context of Paul getting ready to die, he says to Timothy, 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 remember who you are. And the feeling as you get as you go through this book is kind of like a dad talking to his sons. I've had this conversation with Brendan and with his brother Brian as they've gone through difficult times. I had mentors have this conversation with me. There are times in which you want to cry with them, and then there are times in which you know it's not going to help if you cry with them. You just have to say, hey, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. God called you. Remember who you are. Remember who you are. And actually, in these verses, Paul underscores the three things that Timothy needs to come back to that are rock solid. He says, number one, you need to, need to, need to understand, Timothy, that, 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 that you have an identity, that you have a calling, and you have an obligation. These things don't change. They don't change. Your circumstances change, the issues beyond your control, you can't, you know, you can't, you can't choose, you can't choose what happens to you, but these three things don't change, Timothy. And in the midst of all this confusion, you need to go back and remember, remember who you are, and that is you need to remember that you have an identity, you have a calling, and you have an obligation. First, he says you have an identity. And this identity really is based upon four realities. But Paul is brilliant here. Brilliant. And he's speaking to his son. There's all kinds of emotional language to this letter here. 
calls him my child, my son. And you'll find as you read through 2 Timothy, he, he, he's like a dad to him. He, he's, he's using himself as an example, not that Paul is saying he's the fourth member of the Trinity, but he's saying that, look, 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 you, you've hung with me. You've been with me on my second and third missionary journey. You, we, 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 we've been through a lot together. Don't get rattled, boy. Don't get confused. You need to remember who you are. And your identity is based upon these core realities. They're rock solid. The very first reality, Timothy, that you need to hold on to in the midst of all of this confusion and uncertainty, you need to hold on to the reality that you indeed are loved and valued. You are loved and valued. Paul is letting him know you're not by yourself and don't believe the lies. And this is what happens to all of us. When we get between a rock and a hard place and life gets to be overwhelming, and I said yesterday, isolation, grief, distortion, and we begin to think, oh, woe is me. Nobody else is with me. I'm all by myself. And we start creating these lies and a pity party. And this is what Paul is speaking to. No, 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 boy. Come on, man. You're not alone. Verses 3 and 4, he says, I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with clear conscience. As I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. What is Paul saying here? Hey, boy, listen to me. I am praying for you regularly. I'm tapping into heaven's resources and bringing them to bear on who you are and what you're going through. You are valued by me. He says, as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. Some scholars believe that Paul is referring to something very specific, probably his second arrest. Timothy, his young son, hung with him. Maybe as Paul is being led away, he glances at him and sees the tears and puts them down his cheek. Paul's saying, this is the last time I saw you, man. And I want you to know I remember your connection you're loved and valued friends if you don't if you know people who are going through a hard time don't rush to them let them know that they're loved and valued you don't have to talk to them in fact some of us talk too much you don't have to give them all kinds of feedback you don't have to give them 72 and a half verses just let them know that you're loved and valued. Say, I've seen that, Timothy. I've watched it in you. You need to know that. I, I, I remember your tears, and I, and I long to be with you. If I could get out of this place, the very first place I would go, I'd make a beeline to Ephesus. Be with you. So he's reminding Timothy. Okay, look, 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 look. Your identity, you're not alone. You are number one loved and valued. The second reality, under this whole banner of his identity, he he reminds Timothy that you have a legacy of faith. Your moment in history is not all that exists. You might be lost in the moment. But you need to step back and see where you came from, son. And this has not changed. 
You, you've got a legacy of faith. Look at, look at verse, verse, uh, verse 5. He says, I am reminded of your sincere faith. Sincere faith. Now, I, I think Paul uses this, this, this expression to remind Timothy, look, look, what you have is real. Don't get confused. Don't, don't, don't get overwhelmed. I know a lot of mess is going on right now, and I know a lot of things you don't have answers for, but your faith is real, son. Your faith is real. It's not disingenuous. It's genuine. It is real. And he says, I, I, <laughs> I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. It's almost like he said, step back, son. See where you came from. See where you came from. Know where you've been. Understand what people have paid for in order for you to be here. Know the price that they paid. Know whose shoulders you stand on. I can't tell you the number of times when I've been going through a hard time in ministry and feeling like I wanted to give up. And I would step back and I would see my mother, as a, as, a, as a boy growing up, my mother would pray every night on her knees and she would pray out loud and hear her call out my name to the Lord. I would see the people who believed in me, who invested in my life. And as, as it was as if God would say to me, oh, no, 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 take another step, son, take another step, take another step. Your moment does not determine or define where you should be spiritually. What you have been given to you is a treasure. And this is what Paul is saying to Timothy. Step back, son. Stop empowering the uncertainty of your circumstances and remember the legacy of your life. You, you, are, you are an extension. You are an extension of those who believe God before you. Now, you know, the interesting thing here with this legacy of faith is that you notice that there's just women mentioned here, his grandmother and his mother. Timothy's dad was probably not a believer. Um, and his faith has been shaped by his mother and grandmother. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, so Timothy's dad was probably a Gentile. That's Acts chapter 16, verse 1, and probably not a believer. So Paul comes alongside. Paul scoops this young man up when he was probably a teenager and became a father to him. And parenthetically, you know, one of the things, I, I, you know, we need to stop talking so much about how dysfunctional people are and start making them functional. Please stop that. Stop telling everybody's dysfunctional. And no matter, you, you go back, or you, you, you're, you're in your head, you got jacked up people in your lineage. So we need to stop talking about how dysfunctional people are and start making them functional. That's what discipleship is all about. And Paul poured himself into Timothy. And you'll see over in chapter 2, verse 1, he calls him my child. He's a father figure to him. And so he reminds Timothy, look, this is where you came from. This is what it's all about. And so his, 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 his identity is, is based upon the reality that he's loved and valued. Secondly, he has a legacy of faith. But thirdly, he says, look, Timothy, you need to remember this. This is your identity. You're loved and valued. Don't believe the lies that you're by yourself. You came from someplace. You've got a legacy of faith. 
But thirdly, you have a gift. Verse 6. He says to Timothy, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. I don't want to get in the weeds of this. When he says through the laying on of my hands, doesn't mean that Paul transmitted or transferred the gift to Timothy. I really believe that what Paul is saying is that it was recognized by apostolic authority. That you have this gift. And notice the expression. He says, fan into flame the gift that is in you. Uh, I think what he's saying to Timothy is that, listen, listen, boy, you need to exercise some confidence. Both in the faith that you possess, but also in the gift that you have. And I think what happened to Timothy was that he had gotten the confidence beaten out of him. I think these people were just beating him down. It was, it was like he had so many issues going on in the church. It was like whack-a-mole. He was trying to put this fire out, trying to put that fire out, trying to put this fire out. You know, he got six silver bullets and 24 targets. He's running out of ammunition. He's over his head. And I've been there. I think a lot of you have been there in your own personal lives. And how are we going to manage and handle all of this stuff that's going on here? And Paul says, whoa, 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 whoa. Go back to what God gave you to work with. Timothy, look, you got two things that God gave you to work with that you bring to the dance. Two things that God gave you. God has given you the gift of leadership and God has given you the gift of preaching and teaching. Make those things blaze, boy. Use the gift. Use the ability. By the way, what signature has God written over your soul in your life? What gifts do you have? What has God entrusted to you? That's the core. That's the leveraging thing. That's where the Spirit of God focuses his attention to making you effective and working in and through you. I tell younger leaders all the time, listen, listen, listen. Don't, don't get caught up with doing all the things that you can do. Do the stuff that you should do. And that's what Paul is telling Timothy. You're going to make it, man? You're going to make it through all this? If you're going to make it through all of this, then you're going to have to fan in the flame that God gave you to work with. To work with. Make it blaze again. And then the fourth thing that he says to him, the fourth reality under this banner of your identity, Timothy, is, hey, look, you're loved and valued. You've got this legacy of faith. Man, you've been a gift from God. But number four, he says, you have God's resources. You have God's resources. All of ministry is supernatural. So he says, look, listen, listen, listen. You're not to be intimidated by your circumstances. Verse 7 says, for God gave us not a spirit of timidness, but of power and love and self-control. Whenever you read your Bible, always drop it in its context. The broader context here is that Paul said to Timothy, you're being intimidated. You're being overwhelmed by all this stuff that's going on. But I want you to know, God did not give you a spirit of fear. Now, I, 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 I'm reading from the English Standard Version. I kind of wish they would have um, translated the word that's translated fear 
it's it's a unique word. It's, this is the only word, only place where this word is used in the New, New Testament is the Greek word delia. Delia. Uh, it it probably should have been translated powerless, and that fits the context. So Paul says to Timothy, God, God doesn't give you a spirit of cowardice. Thus, he connected with the previous verse, fanning the flame. No, you're, you're letting the circumstances and you're letting these people overwhelm you, intimidate you, and make you fearful. And you're, you're hitting the rewind button, man. You, you're putting it in reverse. No, press forward. Why? Because God didn't give you that spirit, son. Why are you running? Somebody needs to hear that today. Why are you running? But what, what did he give you? And this is the point. The dominant point of verse 7 is that what God has given to you is greater than anything that opposes you. What did he give you? What are the resources that he's given you? He, he, he's given you a spirit of power. Of love, of self-control, meaning self-control, I'll take first, you don't need to be rattled by what's going on around you. You can rest in the confidence that you're, 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 you're loved and valued. You can rest in the confidence that you come from someplace. Boy, you have a spiritual heritage and a legacy that's placed in your hands. You can rest in the confidence that God has given you gifts and abilities. Stay there. Stay there. Stay in your lane. This is where you run. You don't have to be scared. But he's giving you power. The impact of your ministry does not, does not even technically reside in your gifts. It resides in the person of the Spirit of God. And it's a conduit of his power. You're not called to a gig. This is not some corporate thing that you're running here. The church of the living God. I'm not giving you this spirit of fear. You've got power, son. And love. Love. God's giving you the supernatural ability to love these people who are coming after you. So, what does he say second? Well, the very first thing he says in this text, second is, I don't remember who you are. What is that all about? Well, you have an identity. Then he moves from identity to calling. You have a calling or stewardship responsibility. This is what he begins with. Now, later on in the letter, in the letter he gets to some specific stuff. But he, at right now, he wants to park it with, with shoring up Timothy. Hey, come on, come on, Timothy. This is, this, this is, you're losing your identity, son. You don't need to do this. He says, you got a calling. You have a stewardship responsibility. And so he goes from identity to stewardship responsibility. It's a calling. Um, and he says to Timothy, Timothy, in verses 8 through 13, your primary calling is to steward the gospel. Don't get it twisted. Don't get off script. Don't let somebody write another script for you. Don't let somebody give you another calling. Don't let somebody tell you what you need to be and who you need to be and all of this. You got to know who you are. 
tell younger pastors this all the time. You've got to be careful now because there are a lot of people in church, if you're not clear about who you are, they'll be sure enough to tell you who you are, to tell you what you ought to do, and what the agenda of the, of the church should be, and how you should go about it. Paul says, no, you've got you to keep the central thing the central thing. This is what God has called you to, Timothy. This is what he's called you to. He calls you to the gospel, but he also calls you, now hear, hear me on this. He's also called you, son, to suffer. It's as if he's saying, now, now, now tell me, why are you surprised at the hard times? Why are you surprised? There, 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 there's, a, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of superficiality about the American branch of the church. I, I'm too old to be recognized as a preacher, okay? There, there's just a lot of, there's a, there, there's a lot, we're thin. We're, we're superficial. We have been taught this transactional Christianity that makes us the better version of ourselves. Where we, we, we ha- we're creating people who, who are not only emotionally brittle, but spiritually, spiritually fragile. Because, because we've taken suffering out of the Christian life. And Paul, Paul hits it head on. It's as if he says, oh, well, why, why are you surprised? Why are you surprised, Timothy? Why are you surprised you're going through a hard time? Now, nobody should like suffering. Nobody should pray for suffering. But, but he says, Timothy, you, you're called to the privilege of suffering. Verse 8 says, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. But share in suffering for the gospel. By the power of God. Now, this St. Paul said in uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 29, For you it has been given on behalf of Christ not only to believe in his name, but also to suffer for his sake. Now, what he's saying is this. There are some things that are worth, worth going through hard times for, and there are some things that's worth dying for. And Paul is saying, I'm in jail, and I'm going to die for this gospel. And son, son, newsflash. If it means that you have to die for the gospel, don't run, die for it. Die for it. You see, this is, this is, this is the foundation of conviction. We have a lot of beliefs, but our conviction level is getting thin. There, there are things that we will argue about and debate about and interact about and talk about. We'll talk about our belief structures. But what are we willing to pay for? And that's what Paul is getting after. Uh, Brendan talked about the gospel earlier. The gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of our Savior. Over in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, as he alluded to verse 4, Peter says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name. Under heaven, given among men, whereby we must be saved. There's a sense of urgency about this message. This is what Paul is saying. This is no hobby, son. This is not a hobby. This is not a nice thing to do. This is your life. Jesus died 
so that every man, woman, and child would have an opportunity to say yes to Jesus Christ, to say yes to eternal life. And do you think that the devil's sitting back in his lazy boy lounger while you tell all these folks in Ephesus how to come to know Jesus and have a saving relationship with him, how to be transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light? He's going to throw all hell at you, boy. That's going to happen in your life, too. But it's worth the sacrifice. How much is the soul of your child worth? How much is the soul of your neighbor worth? How much is your soul worth? If you're sitting here and you don't know Jesus as Savior and Lord, how much is your soul worth? See, Paul connects discomfort with Jesus. And as he's saying, you want to walk into the wisdom of God. Embrace it, son. Embrace it. Then he says, you have a message to proclaim. And I've tripped all over that, verses 9 and 10. He says, look, says Timothy, this, this is your calling. The gospel, he saved us and called us to a holy calling. Not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. And which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Timothy, Timothy, this man, did he think more joyfully of the things of God? I, I, I know there's a lot of junk going on, man. You people are sending your letters and the, 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 you know, the false teaching and you got stuff going on and Whatever, but there, is there anything more beautiful than this? Is there anything more glorious than this? To be privileged to be a messenger of hope in the midst of darkness? Is there anything greater than to be a Christian at this moment in history? With all the darkness and all the sin that is going on and all the mess that's taking place here and all the confusion in the culture and, and all of this stuff, is there anything more glorious than to tell people that Jesus died for you, he loves you, he wants to give you the gift of eternal life, he wants to clean you up. He wants to place his spirit inside of you. He wants to give you eternal joy. Timothy, Timothy, that's the location. That's, that's it, right there. Open your mouth and preach, boy. Open your mouth and share this good news. It's worth every battle that you're fighting. Don't run. Don't retreat. Press in. It's during moments of confusion that Christians need to be confidently clear, certain. One of the problems and burdens of my heart, and 
tell you, I'm broken over this, but for the last five or six years is that believers have ingested the confusion of the culture. And here we are the ones with solutions, and yet we're the ones ingesting all the, the, you know, the, the political extremes and all of the nonsense in the culture, and we're, we're representing the culture, and we're allowing the mess inside of the culture to, to cloud and suppress the answer that the culture needs. The answer that the culture needs. And we need to depoliticize our Christianity. We need to raise it above all the mess and all the stuff that's going on in the world. And the cross and the gospel needs to be above all. There's no salvation in a donkey or in an elephant. There's no salvation in all of the other things that we're seeing today. The salvation that this nation needs comes from a crucified Savior, dead, buried, and raised again on the third day that says, come unto me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We've gotten conflicted as believers. Thus, our preaching has become convoluted and confusing, hijacked. Contaminated by the moment in history. So Paul reminds Timothy, this is your calling, buddy. Yeah, Nero's raising all kinds of hell, boy. Yeah, he's, he's messing with all kinds of people. Yeah, you got folks in there with all kinds of jacked up, screwed up theology. I got it, I got it, I got it. But one thing is for sure, when they come to hear Timothy preach, you stand up, you make sure you're clear. You ain't representing the Romans, you ain't representing the Greeks, you ain't representing nobody but Jesus. And that's what we're called to. I think you need to join me in praying. There's, there's, I, I think we're, we're, the church of Jesus Christ needs to get back to gospel clarity and simplicity. One of my says that when uh, church gets in bed with politics, church gets pregnant, and the offspring doesn't look like our father. So. You have a message to proclaim. And he also said, you have, a, you have an example to follow, Timothy. So I, I ain't telling you this stuff because, you know, this is just one-off good advice. You, you, you have seen this in me, verses 11 to 13. Paul says, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher. You know this, Timothy. You've heard the messages. You don't just me. You've heard me stand up in the synagogues and preach to these people and go out to the agora where the Gentiles hang out and preach the gospel. You're, you're there. You're on my team. I'm not telling you something that I haven't gone through. He says, verse 12, which is why I suffer as I do. But he hasn't, he hasn't, he's saying, but don't, 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 don't feel sorry for me, Timothy. He says, but I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard unto that day what has been entrusted to me. I, you know, I, I'm going to die. dying to not remember 
time with the church. Because I know that I'm going to see him on the other side. And this gospel has not just been good advice, you know, good tips for the time when you're writing it. It is good news to be believing in terms of that I have a reward depending on the quality of God's smile on my life. So, Timothy, I know that you're overwhelmed. You, you lost a bit of sense of your purpose, so I, I detect you. Pauline theology of how he writes. So he begins with putting his identity there, giving him a calling. Timothy obviously is pretty prepared for what he's going to get. He has an obligation. And your obligation is not sinless. It's not conditional. It doesn't depend upon whether you have perfect circumstances or not. You have an obligation. I happen to believe that verse uh, verse 13 here is actually verse 14 here is a summation of everything that he said in verses 3 through 13. It's kind of like a therefore. So he says in verse 14, okay, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. And one could say that there's a dual theme of 2 Timothy. Uh, stir up the gift and guard the deposit. The deposit, what is the deposit? You go back in the context. What is deposit? Well, is it the deposit is that he's loved and valued. The deposit is that he, his legacy. The deposit is that his, his gift. The deposit is the, the resources that he has. The deposit is, is the calling that he has. Guard that. Protect that. Leverage that. Use that. That's who you are. Guard that deposit. Don't borrow somebody else's identity. God did not give you somebody else's history. God gave you your history. Yes, even the jacked up parts about your history. God can hit a straight lick with a crooked stick. That's you. That's your background. That's where you came from. And that's what God's going to use. Guard that deposit. Guard it. Not just your gift, but all that's been invested in you. By the way, what are you doing with what's been invested in you? What are you doing with it? What are you 
rebuild the legacy of sacrifice for the kingdom's work. One of the things that troubles me to no end is the excessive arrogance of this generation. That we act as if this is the only generation that ever mattered. Kidding me? Sticking your hand in the Pacific Ocean and pulling it out, that's how much difference you make. I mean, come on, man. What do we have without you? But I want you to notice, and I'll, I'll land the plane on this, I want you to notice the opening clause of this verse, however, that we prayed for. By the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. Paul says, the way you guard this deposit, the way you leverage those things that are placed inside of you, is not in your own ingenuity. It's not whiteboarding eventualities. It's not calling in the consultants to give you workable scenarios. It's not the ability to raise a lot of money. No. The power, the power to get you created comes through our dependence on the Spirit of God. We need to preach and talk a whole lot more than we do about the control and the power of the Spirit He's the one that produces transformation in us, and he's the one that produces impact during our moment of weakness. And this is what he's telling Timothy. Timothy, hate to tell you, I know you're gifted. I just said you have a gift. I know you've got a lot of concepts and dreams. You've got a lot of convictions and a lot of things that you think, a lot of experiences. I'm not saying anything. But that doesn't end the day, brother. What wins the day is this gift gets in the hands of to the Spirit of God he's your steadfast son Timothy and that's when you'll be shaken you still have your gifts not by anybody else not by might nor by power but by my spirit says the Holy Spirit I would be remiss and I know I said this yesterday and Brendan said it there's anybody here, anybody here, and you're not sure that Jesus Christ is your Lord, you don't know for sure that you're saved by grace. We're not here to be rude or to force our beliefs on anyone, but it is the greatest news that has ever come to us. It is the expression of God's infinite, pursuant love for you. That he cares so much about you. He cares so much about your life. He cares so much about what you can be and the plans that he has for you that he's orchestrated through me. And this may be your day. Your opportunity to say yes to Jesus. And all you have to do, all you have to do is to say, Lord Jesus, I need you. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I turn from my sins. And I trust you as my Lord and Savior. 
you don't have to promise him that you're going to be blessed during your rest. Can I say that? You're not going to, you don't have to promise him that you're going to stop doing this or stop doing that, but you can choose to do that and stop it for him. He loves you. And he wants to come inside of your life. So if you're here, I want to invite you to pray that prayer that I just said. I don't even want you to bow your heads and close your eyes, but this in the quietness of your own heart, say this prayer. If you've never trusted Christ as Savior, but you're not sure that you did this within your heart, why don't you pray this prayer along with me? Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for dying on the cross. I turn from my sins, and I accept you as my Savior. Amen. Father, thank you for yourself. Thank you for your love. God, just help us to pray, to realize that we love you, God. To realize that you've given us gifts and talents and abilities and you love us and you, and more importantly, you've given us this calling to be ambassadors for the kingdom. And maybe not shrink back from that responsibility or allow the culture and stuff around us to redefine us and give us a new identity. Jesus, you are who you should be. 